Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Over the last several weeks, our focus has been the kingdom of God. We're going to continue this morning. Uh, With respect to the kingdom of God, Jesus emphasized this more than anyone else. Um, It was something that he spoke about at the beginning of his public life and ministry, at the end of his public life and ministry, 40 days in between uh, those points, he spoke, taught, and lived the kingdom of God. And so that's been our emphasis. Uh, let the kingdom come. Uh, there's a, a passage I want us to read together. And it's in Philippians chapter 3. Verses 8 and 9. It's going to appear on the screen. When it does, let's all read together. All right. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Great. Paul is writing this letter, and he's speaking about righteousness. The reason why that's important for us in the context of our series is because uh, righteousness is um, an aspect of the kingdom of God. When we talked about God's rule, God's reign, Uh, There's a place in scripture that speaks about God's kingdom. In fact, we'll look at it now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Isaiah writes these words. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So when he writes about uh, the kingdom of God, Speaking of Jesus, he's saying he's the one who will establish and uphold the kingdom. How will he do it? With justice and righteousness. So justice and righteousness are paired in so many places throughout the scripture. But going back to Paul's comment, he makes clear that he wants to be found in Christ. How many want to be found in him? You know, my devotional um, right now is in the gospel of John. It's not what I'm preaching from. It's just my own devotion. But I'll just insert something of what I read. When you read John chapter 1, it's very encouraging. John the Baptist is announcing Jesus, that he is the Messiah. And um, when Jesus passes by, he points Jesus out to his followers, disciples, and they begin to follow him. When they do, uh, Jesus invites them to stay with him. And one of those two men, his name is Andrew, he's Simon Peter's brother. It says he first found his brother, Simon Peter, and said, we found him. Now, I laughed when I read that. It's like, did we really find God or did he find us? And it goes on in the same passage. Not only do you have two brothers who begin to follow Christ, but then you have a friend, 
uh, Philip who goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. He says, we found him. And so there's something in our humanity that says, we found him. As opposed to, actually, he came down from heaven and found us. We were the ones who were lost. But it's almost just like we found him. So Paul says here, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but I want to be found in him having a righteousness that is in Christ, that's on the basis of faith. It's very important. Uh, there's a righteousness which is based on the law. There's a righteousness that's based on faith in Christ. And the two are not the same. Uh, it can sound like you're talking about the same thing, but Paul is very careful to make the distinction. Um, last month, two months ago, uh, we were celebrating my birthday with my family. We went to an Asian restaurant I like. And uh, while we were there, our server came up to the table, and uh, she introduced herself. Her name is Flower. And my wife asked, is Flower your real name? And she said, no, that's not my real name. My wife said, what's your real name? And she's Asian, and she pronounced her name for us. And I will not be able to pronounce it. Just know that. But what I thought she said was Manayan. And my wife repeated, Manayan? She said, no, Manayan. So my wife said, Manayan? She said, no, Manayan. This went on a few times. <laughs> now you know why she says her name is Flower. She said it once more, Manayan. And um, our youngest daughter said, Manayan. And Flower looked at her and said, yes, that's it. So my wife said, Manayan? She said, no. <laughs> So, Flower walks away from our table, and our youngest daughter, uh, who has studied uh, Mandarin for, I don't know how many years, six, seven years, she speaks the language, two of our girls do, she began to take us through this whole linguistics, and I can't run you through that. But apparently, the American tongue produces certain sounds at the tip of the tongue, and the Asian tongue produces certain sounds at the back. And if you don't have that or know that, either native or you've learned it, um, you're not going to be able to say Manan the way Manan says Manan. My whole point is not just to tell you a story, although it's helpful to get certain people's attention. <laughs> but the whole point is righteous? righteous. No. Righteous? righteous? No. Righteous? Okay, that's it. You get my point. Paul was saying, I want to be found in him. Not having this righteousness, but having this righteousness. And they're not the same. And he helps us understand why. How many of you want to have the righteousness that comes on the basis of faith? Do you remember that we've been speaking throughout this series that God is a God of covenant? That covenant is the means of relationship that he makes with an individual, but not just for the individual, but for the benefit of the people, like a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. God made a covenant with them. And when God made this covenant with them, they were considered righteous by God. But it wasn't on the basis of the law. At the time that God entered into this covenant between uh, Abraham, Sarah, and himself, 
the law of God had not yet been given. By that I mean the law given to Moses when he stood on Mount Sinai. And God gave him ten words for his people to live by, which we call the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That if you obey it, it will go well with you all the days of your life. That's a good reason to honor your parents. Uh, do not murder. Uh, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Those were the original ten that were given. I didn't list them all, but they're there in Exodus. You can read it. Uh, and the people of God, in that covenant, the sign of the covenant for Abraham was circumcision. Every time God does a covenant, there's, there's some sign that accompanies it. Like when you get married, the sign of the covenant is a wedding ring. That's something that is practice and tradition. The, the ring is not the, 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 the marriage. The, the ring symbolizes something that is a covenant made between a man and a woman. So uh, when we look at this, a couple of things to consider that help me be encouraged. First of all, going back to my devotion, I don't know why it's working its way into the message, but in John, that same passage, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it says, he became flesh. That's good news. And he lived among us. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I read that and I move with sobriety, at least I was early in the week. And the reason why is because when Jesus was asked by his followers, teach us how to pray, they said, when, he said, when you pray, say, our Father. Father. Not our creator, not our sovereign, not our king, but our Father. God's very relational. He's not impersonal. He wants you to relate as a son or daughter. Hallowed be your name. Then he said, your kingdom come. Your will be done on as it is. Now, there is an expectation for the demonstration of the kingdom of God to be on earth, and not just on earth, but on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus comes and announces that the kingdom is here, the king is here, and so is the kingdom. And every place he goes, every individual who encounters him experiences not only the king, but experiences the kingdom, which is a kingdom of righteousness, which is a kingdom of justice, of joy, and peace. Do you know that the two words righteousness and justice are paired hundreds of times together throughout the scriptures. In Psalms, it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So a throne refers to his government. It re refers to his rule. So God rules foundationally from a place of righteousness and justice. It's who he is. So any place there's some rule, some government that is unrighteous and unjust, there's no peace. So there's no way to have world peace <laughs> apart from the righteousness of God and the justice of God being at the center of it. And this moment where we're looking at the kingdom of God and, and the righteousness coming, there's some things we want to consider. And I lost my place for a moment, so I'm stalling. What was I talking about? 
Righteousness and justice always present and foundation of the throne. Anything else? Are you all good listeners? All right. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Shannon. He dwelt among us. I cannot imagine, I don't know that it's humanly possible to imagine heaven. To imagine Jesus for all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heaven is a place that is sinless. I've never been any place that's sinless because I can't get away from myself. There's no sin in heaven. There's no guilt. None. There's no shame. Can you imagine to never ever experience shame? There's no greed. There's no selfishness. There's no animosity. There's, there's no lust. There's no coveting. Zero. Why would you leave? Perfection. Because that is not where we live. There are places in the world that maybe some of us have had an opportunity to visit but probably would never want to live. There are regions in the world where people don't know even what some of us in this room know in terms of just what is common in our experience of life. What I mean to say is there are people who live in places where they're, they're outdoors. It's a dump, a site where they just dump refuse and trash and waste and the stench you can smell from a great distance that you would cover your eyes and your nose and your mouth because the filth would be unbearable. And there are people who live on that heap and that's their home. That's their reality. Some of us are like, you wouldn't want, you're like, I'm going to mess up my stilettos. I, I can't imagine. They live there, they build tents, and that's home. The gap between leaving heaven, becoming flesh, and dwelling among us, and the heap, the gap between heaven and earth is greater than the trash heap. Like he dwells among us. But we don't realize the stench because we have always known it. We're used to it. We expect people to be the way they are. And then we get mad about it. Do you ever get mad when you see human beings act like human beings? <laughs> what is wrong with you? It's a rhetorical question. You are from heaven. Like our expectations of human behavior, like, like you should behave this way. Well, 
that's, that's the law that they gave. Don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. But here's the thing. When Moses came down and with the law and gave it, they wrote it down, but they never had the ability to live it out. Why is that? Well, here's what a lot of things we could go through. But I just want to share a couple. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And then we'll go to verse 20 through 22. In verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So, billions of people on the planet, how many righteous? That's a lot of unrighteousness on the planet. Now, because of what I talked about last week, moralistic, uh, therapeutic deism, this whole idea of relative to other people, we tend to find somebody within reach and compare ourselves with them in order to make our righteousness feel a little more righteous. Anybody ever do that? That's actually called arrogance, which is unrighteous. Or you think, I'm not as good as somebody else who's in reach this way. But God's righteousness is out of our reach. It's out of reach. It's not even entertained in our thoughts. So when I am Donnell Jones, like you ever had that day in your life like, man, this is the best day of my life. I'm balling out today. <laughs> like I'm balling out. This day can't get any better. Anybody ever had that day? Right? Priscilla, you write your best article. It's like being published in the, you know, national, this thing, or you're having, you know, things are going on in your life like it couldn't get any better. On your best day, the righteousness of God is not in reach. And on your worst day, the righteousness of God is not in reach. And the gap between your best day and your worst day from God's perspective might be a millimeter even though you feel horrible about it. It's just not as big a distance as you think. You're encouraged yet? Say, not yet, not yet. You're just telling me about how unrighteous I am. I mean, came to church and you're just telling me I'm not righteous. I don't like you. Sorry I came here today. Not coming back to this church ever again. The unrighteousness just pours out of us, doesn't it? Romans 3, 20 through 22. Therefore, no one, how many? No one will be declared righteous in God's sight. So we appear righteous in our own sight. I mean, there are times I look at my family, I'm thinking, guys, come on. You have a great husband. You have a great father. I have, <laughs> listen, be thankful, right? In my day, right? And then members of our household say similar kinds of things. Does that happen in your house? Does it happen on your job? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. How? By the works of the law. You cannot be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Pastor, let me tell you what I did. It will not, there's no declaration. You know when you fly back customs and you have to declare everything? You can't be declared righteous and gain entrance into the kingdom of God by the works of the law. We've heard it, but we still try. Goes on, it says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the reason the Ten Commandments were given 
spoiler alert, God knew they wouldn't be able to do it. The whole reason why the commandments were given was to be a tutor, training wheels, to bring you to Christ, to your need for him. Because through the law, we become conscious of sin. What the law does is make us aware of our sinfulness. Paul says it this way, if the law had not said, don't covet, I wouldn't even know that I was coveting. Coveting is strong desire for that which belongs to someone else. When you want someone else's spouse, someone else's house, someone else's job, someone else's money, you ever wanted something that wasn't yours that was somebody else's? Don't lie in a hotel now. It's... It's called coveting. And he's saying, if the law had not said it, I wouldn't even know that I was coveting. Now that the law has said it, it doesn't make me stop. It actually makes it worse. Because now I'm dealing with the reality of this thing is in me and I can't make myself stop. It's like taking a fork. It's like going into your favorite dessert. It's like lifting it to your mouth and you realize you shouldn't. So you use the other hand to push it away. That doesn't work really well. You need an outside intervention. Can't get it on your own. Verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. That's good news. Since there's none righteous, and since we can't be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, it's good news that the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law. That there's a way to receive righteousness apart from the law being the basis of our righteousness. He tells you, to which the law, so the law itself and the prophets testify about this righteousness. Verse 22, this righteousness is given. I'm surprised you can sit still. You realize there's no way to be acceptable before God unless the righteousness, the standard that he holds every human being to is given because it cannot be earned. It can't be earned. And since it can't be earned, where then is my boasting? Since it can't be earned, where's my judgment of another man or another woman and saying you're short? We're all short. The meter has run out and we have no change in our pocket. And the ticket has been written. This righteousness is given. Hallelujah. Because if it isn't, I have no hope. This righteousness is given through faith. This righteousness is given through what? Faith. But not just faith. Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness is given, given, given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's good news, isn't it? It's very good news. So, I want to talk a little bit about Abraham, and I want to give us some things to practice, and then we'll pray and leave. <laughs> Genesis 18, 18 through 19. We've already said that Abraham 
earn righteousness? The law, the Ten Commandments, were they given before or after Abraham? So there wasn't even a law by which he could work somehow to even become righteous because the law hadn't been given. Moses comes after Abraham. All right, so then we're going back to a time where the law had not yet been given by God to Moses and the children of Israel. But this is how those children came into existence. In verse 18, it says, Abraham, this is Jesus speaking to Abraham, face to face. He appeared to him in the Old Testament. It says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. What nation is that? The nation of Israel. This is the beginning of the nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Now, you need to see something. Abraham will become something that he's not. In order to become something that he's not, he actually has to embrace or accept a covenant relationship with God, which is going to require of him a radical shift in his thinking. He's grown up and lived his whole life in Ur of the Chaldees, where there are innumerable numbers of gods. And God said, I am the God of all gods. So that's going to require submission on his part. So there is a part we play. We can't earn righteousness, but to receive what's given, it requires submission to his reign and rule. It's not like you can just say, okay, I want your righteousness, but then not be reigned. The Bible says that those who received grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in this life through Jesus Christ. So there's this submission in order to receive. It says he'll become a powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. The whole reason why the United States of America in its history professed faith in God and talked about being one nation under God, we have all kinds of issues this is not a moment to kind of unpack our history right here. So some of you look at, Pastor, but we have issues. Yeah, I, I, I live here. Um, I live here. And I'm, I'm praying to see change happen and the kingdom come. It says, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household. See how it's starting? I've chosen him first. Starts, God starts with a person. Then I want what I'm doing with him to go to his kids. His family, then his household, oikos, his community, and then it becomes a nation. So God always starts with a man. He always starts with a woman, and if he can get something in you, then it can move outward. That's how the kingdom expands. So I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. This is what the issue is, that we in our humanity, we know the way of man. We don't know the way of the Lord, but we're called to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is Right and just. Do you recognize those two words, right and just, paired together? The same words in Isaiah 9, 7, where it says that he will reign on the throne of his son David, right? Establishing and upholding it with what? Righteousness and justice. Let your kingdom, righteousness and justice, come on earth, Abraham, right and just. In other words, I want you to live under my rule and then rule as I do the same way I do with your household, with your family, you and your wife, through the city, through the nations. Isn't that good? So you'll see that paired all the way through the scriptures. Now the things we need to practice, and then we'll go. Um, it's just five things I have. Praying. That's number one. I think the starting point for us is praying. Jesus said it in Matthew 6.10. Let your kingdom come. When we were singing earlier, let every burning heart be holy ground. 
Shannon team, come on up. Let every burning heart be holy ground. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. What earth? The holy ground of my heart. The holy ground. Let my heart be terra firma. The first place that begins to burn for you, God. So that the kingdom and the rule and reign of God first comes here on this earth. My concern is not going to start with my neighbor. It's not going to start with Washington, D.C. It's not going to start with North America. It's I'm not right. I'm not just. I'm praying, let my heart burn and yearn for the kingdom of God. Because until the kingdom of God gets established here on this ground, until you make this ground holy, I'll never think right. I'll never be right. I'll never speak right. I'll never be just. I have no hope of relating to any person in this room in a God-honoring way until the kingdom of God fills my heart, fills this earth. God says, my thoughts are not yours. My ways are so much higher than yours. I know his ways are higher because it's not in me to even think that I should love my enemy. I'm still trying to do it well with those I already love. Love the person who hates me. Not avoid them. Not ignore them. Love them. That's the kingdom. That's not the trash heap. The trash heap says, ooh, payday's coming. I'm going to get you back. Is there somebody you're waiting to get back? Or you just wouldn't mind if they something happened to them not so good? Teach them a lesson. Lord, may my heart learn the lesson. Right? Anybody you need to say you're sorry to? Anybody you have to say you're sorry to over and over and over? Praying. That's the first place we start. Second, submitting. Once he shows up and you hear the truth, it's gone. The thing I love is that he speaks the truth in love. And I'm so glad he does it in love because sometimes I hear the truth and I go, oh, 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 God. I can't do that. First time I read the Sermon on the Mount and I was, you know, 19, 20, and I got to that passage says, you've heard it said, Jesus was saying about surpassing the righteousness that men practice. He said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's good. I'm good with that. I'm single, but when I get married, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I say to you, okay, what do you say, Jesus? If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I was raised that it was okay to look but not touch. Yes, that's your thought. That's not my thought. Do you know how many thoughts are in us that are not his? But he still loves you. Like he doesn't just say, you don't think like me, so I'm not down with you. He just says, submit and then let me change the way you think. Let me change your heart. Otherwise, you're so used to this trash heap, you're not going to like heaven. It's like someone who just loves fried chicken, 
barbecue ribs, green beans and bacon, that fat back, mac and cheese, sweet potato with the marshmallow, with the marshmallow, grits, oh my lord. Can't you feel Thanksgiving coming? Like you're in love with this. My cousin Diane, man. We, Thanksgiving's at her place. And she just cooks. You walk up to the door and you go, ah, the aroma. It's going to be a good time. And you waited. You didn't eat anything that day. You didn't eat nothing. You worked out. I ain't even eating. I'm not going to eat till it's time. Let's hold hands and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. If we could be together as a family. You can smell the mac and cheese while you're praying. And then you learn that God's a vegan. You, you're not going to like heaven. You're standing outside the gate looking at the menu. You flip it over. What? Hold on, where, where, where's the, don't y'all have like a all-you-can-eat bar or something? Yeah, all you can eat vegetables. Don't you remember from the beginning? That's what I gave to man. Every green herb, every plant was for food. It was only after you sinned that I had to sacrifice an animal, then you all started eating them. But that wasn't your natural diet. But I'll declare all foods good so you can keep your chicken. God just keeps, he just loves it like, go ahead, have your chicken. But you still got to submit to me. And this submission, but I just, we actually want to go to heaven, but we wouldn't like it because it's not how we think. Loving your enemies. This week, love your enemy. Think of your enemy right now. And this week, figure out how you're going to demonstrate love and kindness to them. Then you're acting like your father. When we don't do that, we're like the kid who's two years old in the grocery store holding dad and mom's hand going like this. Christopher, I need your help. Christopher's my father. And just walk that way. No! 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 That's what we look like going against our father, not submitting to him. Love your enemy. Be kind to those who hate you. I'm a Christian. I love God. I'm glad he doesn't kick his kids out, but he expects us to mature. That toddler is not going to stay like that. You got to let go of your tantrums. You got to start submitting. He's a holy God. He's not just your buddy. He's daddy. And daddy will discipline you. Why would you let this happen to me? I told you not to run into the street. That's the consequences of you choosing not to submit. 
David said, it was good that I got afflicted because now I stay on the sidewalk. What's pulling you out into the street? Let me finish the list. Repenting. What are you repenting of? Repenting of pursuing righteousness on your own terms rather than on the basis of faith in Jesus. Your greatest sin, as I said last week, isn't the list. It's choosing self over him. Once you choose him, everything else comes with it. Oh God, I give you my time. I give you my money. I give you my talent. You go, "Mm, just give me you. I don't know about that. That's, that's more than my time and my money and my talent. I know. Give me you. Here, Lord. He's not a spare change kind of God. He gave his all, so that's all he wants in return. Like, who wants to be married to somebody who you love them with all their heart, and they're like, I'll give you 10% of my heart, but 90% goes elsewhere. Believing. Are you ready to be encouraged? I know. You're like, wow, pastor, wow. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believing and confessing. Those are the last two. So praying, submitting, repenting, believing, confessing. And these last two come together. Romans 10, 9 and 10. You're going to be really encouraged by this part. We'll put it up on the screen. And it's very encouraging. It says, if you declare with your mouth, this is a great declaration. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not Jesus is Savior. See, Lordship refers to his rule and reign. I grew up calling Jesus Savior. And then I, at one point, said Lord and Savior. But Lord was like with a strike through or was invisible. And Savior was an all caps, bold, ITAL. But the Lord part was just there. It was just what you say. But he says, if Jesus is Lord, and believe where? In your heart. Let every burning heart be holy ground. See, your heart matters so much in this. Your heart is everything in this. It's the one thing Jesus is going for. Not your money, not your time, not your talent. The one thing he's going for is your heart. Because that's the thing he's allowing you, the choice in the matter of who you will give your heart to. And we give our heart to so many different things and people. But who will have your heart at the end of the day? If your spouse has your heart more than God or before God, that's idolatry. So you can make a good thing not good because of its placement in your life. If you make money before God, which is what tithing is about, I can't tithe. So you're just saying this comes before you. It's not like God needs a dollar, really, trust me. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where the Savior part comes in, after the confession of the Lord. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Take your Bible in hand, whether it's when they have it like this or maybe it's on your device. Look at how this works. Paul says, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But the righteousness that comes through faith, it's given through faith in Jesus Christ. So what happens is, the Bible says that Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God. 
It didn't say he kept the law. It says he believed God and submitted to God and then God credited righteousness to him. So he didn't work for it. He didn't earn it. But it was through believing God that it got. Now, here's the last verse and we're done. And you'll be encouraged. Jeremiah chapter 31. Because this is how it happens. Since it's not through earning. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The old covenant was the Ten Commandments. Who established the new covenant? And he did so with what? His own body and his blood. Every covenant made by God has a sign. The sign of this covenant is Jesus giving up his own blood and body, death and resurrection. I'll make a new covenant. That's what Jesus does. It's the best covenant with with the people of Israel. And this extends to us because he says, through you, I want to bless the nations. And with the people of Judah. It gets better. It gets better. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It won't be like the Ten Commandments that I gave them on stones and like, read it, do it. And like, okay, don't murder. But, but I'm murdering because it's in my heart to murder. Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. Do you realize that Cain murdered Abel before he ever put a hand on him? He murdered him in his heart first and then secondly with his hands, which is why God always goes after your heart, not your hands. Because if I grab your hands, that's behavioral modification, but the heart still wants it. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. This is the covenant I make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to shout. I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. I will be their God. The new covenant isn't just a slab of stone. It's a heart burning. Saying, God, help me to submit. I can't live this way. I covet. I murder. I do all these things constantly. And I can no longer in my conscience think checking the list is okay. When I still hate my enemies. When I'm not kind to people I should be. When I don't treat my neighbor the way you do. And when I'm not kind. You know what kindness is? Kindness is treating people better than they deserve. Be kind this week. The Bible says in Psalms that Jesus does not treat us as our sins deserve. Does anybody here realize you haven't been treated as your sins deserve? Just because you have money in the bank and clothes and all that doesn't mean he's pleased with you. They wandered in the wilderness 40 years, ate every day, manna, quail, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. It says, but with many of them, God was not pleased. Provision is not synonymous with his pleasure. So I'm saying, God, take your Bible in hand. Everybody do this. Lord, write it on my heart. Put it in my mind. Would you, look, if we can use software and download to a a computer from the cloud, I'd love to see the cloud of heaven download the word and put it in my mind, put it in my heart. So I wake up one day and the flesh is saying, ooh, that's the enemy, be mean. And all of a sudden, something's uploaded. And I look at them, and, I, and, I, and there's a tension. And it's like, am I going to be kind or not kind? And the Spirit says, I'm in you now. Love them. And so you look at that person and says, you know, I realize that you and I have not related well in the 17 years we've been on this job. But I was in church on Sunday. I was in church on Sunday, and I realized I'm wrong for the way I've been treating you. They're going to look at you like, what, what? You about to hit me? No, 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 no. I am so sorry for the way I've treated you. 
please forgive me. I haven't loved you like I should. You probably don't even know I'm a Christian because I've been in a, tantrum, a temper tantrum with you for 17 years. I'm sorry. I am. I, I've had a change of mind, a change of heart. And my pastor gave me this assignment, said to be kind to you. Don't say be kind to my enemy. That'll just, just say be kind to you. So I want to take you to lunch. I want to get you your favorite co coffee drink. And they're going to look at you strange for a while. They might even go that day. But I had somebody in the church came and said, I went out and I, I showed love to this co-worker. We've been at odds for a long time. They actually were shocked and we now have become friends. That's the kingdom. The church isn't the complaint department. It's the kingdom expanding group. Man, I was wrong with all of us. What's all about me? I wish, well, you know, in person in the office and, and racism. And, and blah, 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 blah. Jesus doesn't come and complain. He says, kingdom. Yeah. Let's stand. Father, we thank you. I pray that you would help us to be those who pray, those who submit, those who believe, those who confess, those who repent. And this would become a regular thing, not just a Sunday service, not just a message, but write these things on our heart. Let us grow up in you because we want to be found in you, not having a righteousness of our own saying, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I help people. I do nice things. You know, I give to this charity. That's not righteousness. It can't be earned. Maybe somebody here today, you might be following Jesus, but you're, you're willing to admit, uh, I feel like a toddler. I'm struggling with a lot of this. I just want to pray for you, for all of us, right? I almost like to say raise your hands like that's everybody. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a hard time loving your enemy. But just for your own acknowledgement, if you say this applies to me, something I heard today applies to me, just hold your hand up, not to me, but to the Lord. God, we raise our hands to you in this place. And we're saying, we can't do it. It's not in us to live righteous. It's not in us to keep the way of the Lord. So we're asking that you would write your law on our heart. That you would put it in our mind. That when we open the Bible, you would open our mind to understand it. And you would write it. It would be like the greatest software download on the hardware of our heart burning heart holy ground and we would begin to just get one truth this week just one truth like wow the grace of God came to me I loved someone I hadn't been able to up until this point I forgave this one I forgave my family member I, I, I trusted where I couldn't before I did what I can't do so I know I've received you write your word on this church write it on our hearts Write it on our minds. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.